0: John chapter 14, one of the most amazing chapters in Scripture, and so relevant for us today. Because what I want to talk about is what happens when you lose the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever ask yourself how 120 frightened people hanging on for survival could be transformed in a moment into a force that could effectively turn their world upside down. Even death could not exterminate their faith. So the blood of the martyrs would become the seed of the church. Persecution, torture, and imprisonment could make no difference. That's why today, countries like Iran are the fastest growing churches in the world, because they know exactly what that means. How within 2,000 years could 120 people become millions? The answer is that ordinary people could be transformed into becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. Because the living God works within us, making us to be more and more like Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's his advent that makes it better for us that Jesus went away. When Jesus said that to his disciples, you can imagine them kind of shaking their heads in disbelief. And yet he promised that if he went away, it was gonna be better for them because his spirit could come. I, I, I love telling old stories of Britain years and years ago. Even though we left it 26 years back, I can't get rid of the accent even now. And even living in the South, (laughs) on doctor's orders, can't think of another reason I'd want to be here. (laughs) It is incredible to recognize some of the truths that we picked up years ago in Britain. Uh, When you went to school uh, as a sort of eight or nine-year-old, you would be told your catechism and made to recite basic Christian doctrine. And one of the ways they did it with the, the real little ones, the five and six-year-olds, was you would jump to your feet and you would say a line of your catechism. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, etc., etc., And one morning, uh, a local clergyman was visiting and the kids were going through that routine. And then there was a deathly pause when there shouldn't have been one. And somebody leaned over to this visiting clergyman and said, sorry sir, the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit isn't here today. And that, tragically, is exactly what is happening in our country. You almost never hear about the Holy Spirit today. It's always about what the Holy Spirit did yesterday. The reality is that COVID has had such an impact on us all that it and related causes have resulted in the fact that those who believe in a personal relationship with Jesus, who believe you can come to know and love God, living in your heart and life personally and directly, have reduced radically. So in many parts of the country, those who know and love Jesus have reduced, in some churches, by as much as 40%. In some churches, by as much as 60%. And so church going has got smaller and smaller. And things are reducing because people have found other things to believe in. The idea of being a people who would turn our world upside down, which was said of the early church, has almost disappeared. And the reason for that disappearance is we've failed to recognize we need a divine helper which you can find in Acts 17, verse 6. Only the Holy Spirit could make us progressively to be more and more like Jesus. And it is Jesus and him alone who our world needs today. Better still, we need his Spirit moving and at work among us. For the Holy Spirit is no mere force around us, whatever George Lucas may have said but the living God working in us and through us to his greater glory. That's the Holy Spirit. And we mustn't lose the Spirit because when you do, the numbers go down, the prayer reduces, the commitment to Scripture gets less, the vital impact on our community gets smaller. All these things go with the loss of the Holy Spirit. Part of the problem, of course, is it's much easier to think of a Jesus who died for you or a Father God who brought this world into being than of a Holy Spirit who empowers us to change our world. And we must not lose the spirit. In John 14, Jesus says, don't have troubled hearts. Believe in God, believe also in me. And he talks about the desperate need that we have for his spirit. I don't know if you realize that when Jesus died, he made a will. Hands up those of you who've made your last will and testament. Confession is good. Thank you. For the benefit of the legal firms sponsoring this message. (laughs) It's a really good thing to do and important to go and consult your local lawyer. But when you leave a will, you leave what you have that's going to be left behind you. Jesus, My Jesus left a last will and testament and it's in scripture. He left his body to Joseph of Arimathea. He left his clothes to the soldiers who were killing him. He left his mother to his beloved disciple John and he left his spirit to his father. But for those who'd walked with him through the years of his ministry here on earth, he left his peace to his disciples. That's there in John 14, verse 27. My peace I leave with you. Now you and I will appoint an executor to execute our will after we've gone. Now I'm gonna try to walk. Forgive me if that doesn't work too well. Uh, The legs aren't wonderful and some of you will remember those days. I used to have to preach in a wheelchair. But um, when I go on an airplane nowadays, the air pressure uh, wreaks havoc. And uh, Ruth and I got back uh, from a trip to Britain uh, less than a week ago And we're going off actually this week, having flown up here and flying back home. We're going this week to a country called Brazil. Because we're going to go and see Vicky. Uh, And that's on Thursday. So you can pray for us as we try and make another long plane journey. But when Jesus left his will, when you leave a will, you appoint an executor, don't you? Someone you know and trust who'll make sure that it's your wishes that are fulfilled. Jesus appointed no executor. For his last will and testament, he simply broke through a wall in John 20, 19 and said, peace I leave with you. In other words, it's okay. I'm going to fulfill my own last will and testament. And here it begins. Peace was his parting gift to his disciples. It was his will and purpose for them. And you may look at yourself now and think, there is no peace in this world. Ask Gaza. Ask Ukraine. This is a world that doesn't know peace. We could look at our own hearts and lives and wonder where the peace has gone. And yet this God, who died to give us his life and his presence and his purpose and his will within us, died also to give us peace. A peace at home and at rest in him. A peace where we could trust him and walk with him. A peace where he could be so utterly real to us. The amazing thing is that my Jesus died to give us his peace. Don't lose it. And if you've lost the peace of God, it's probably because you've lost the spirit of God. Because it's his spirit who brings his peace. We mustn't lose his peace, but we also mustn't lose his presence. Christianity, as I have said thousands and thousands of times, is a pretty crummy religion. And if you want a good religion, try elsewhere. Because religions give you information, give you understanding. Jesus never died to give you information and understanding. He died to give you a relationship. A relationship with the living God who comes to live within you, who comes to transform you, who comes to bless you and give you what you could never create for yourself. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Not a religion about God, but a relationship with him. A relationship in which he can break the power of sin and death. A relationship by which he can come and live within us. A relationship by which he can guide us into all truth. He doesn't just want to teach and enable us from outside. He wants to come within and provide for us all that we need, all that we don't have. He is no mere spiritual force. He is the holy God, the eternal God the omnipotent, all-powerful God, the omnipresent God who will never leave you or forsake you, and the omniscient God who knows everything about you and yet still loves you. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other because this God comes to live within you, comes to take you, transform you, and make you all he wants you to be. And He does it by His Holy Spirit. We mustn't lose His presence. That's why he says to the disciples, "I won't leave you as orphans." That's why he says, "I will come to you." That's why He says, "I will be with you." That's why heaven is on offer, not because it is a reward simply and purely, but because heaven is coming from the presence of Jesus here on earth to the presence of Jesus in glory for eternity. And it's why he says, I'll never leave you. The most wonderful thing about my Jesus is he brings peace, but he brings his presence. Therefore, when you talk to someone about becoming a Christian, you are talking to them about meeting Jesus Knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and being with Jesus forever. Are you still there? Don't lose his peace. Don't lose his presence. And thirdly, don't lose his power. He makes ordinary people like you and I into the hands and feet of Jesus. I remember being in Iran when there were around 200 Christians. Today, the fastest growing church in the world, amid all the persecution and the pain, the destruction and the despair, there is a wonderful, wonderful sense of the power of God at work. Almost no one, and I say this with deep sorrow, almost no one in Iran has come to faith through a sermon. Almost everybody comes to faith through a vision or a dream, directly sent by Jesus. We may struggle a bit with this and think, hang on, He's getting supernatural. Yeah, well, that's how around the world, the countries where church is exploding, it's because of an encounter with Jesus. And the countries where faith is declining, it's because our faith is too head-based. It's too based on what we know rather than who we know and how he reveals himself to us. The power that Jesus died to give is the power that changed the world. We had many years together, 12 years together, some of you here, and you will remember that I love the writings of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, a Canadian pastor who spent most of his life preaching in the States, had a a beautiful saying about the power of God. He said, the church began in power, moved in power, and moved just as long as she had power. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. Shall I say that again slowly? The church began in power, moved in power, and moved just as long as she had power. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. What does that make you think of? It is way too easy to live on a memory. It is way too easy to recollect what it was all once like. It is way too easy to remember back to the days that we knew the power of God. And it is so important that those days come again for us, that the church of Jesus Christ lives in power, moves in power, touches the hearts and lives of their communities because it's the power of God at work, not human energy or human design and desire. It's so important to recognize that there is an enemy of our souls who is at work to destroy the work of God, and yet Satan is a disadvantaged, defeated, and disappointed enemy, all because of one person, and his name is Jesus. The wonderful, wonderful moment of recognizing that my Jesus comes to give us freedom, to give us power, But to give us his peace, do you this morning know the peace of God at work in your heart and life? Are you at peace with him and with one another? Do you know the presence of God? Is God someone you believe in or someone you know personally? And the power of God. Do you see God's power at work in you and through you, touching your heart, and using you. I'd like to tell you a story. Is that okay? Yeah. It's not an old one. I'm going to take you back about six weeks. What happened was this. We'll go back three years for the introduction. My daughter in law, Annie, whose husband Gavin has stood on this platform and preached many times, Annie has stood here and preached. But Annie said to me one day, Dad, you're getting old. Now that is a risky thing to say to me. But she said it, Dad, you're getting old. She said, do you remember that once you told your two grandchildren, from Gavin and I, you told your two grandchildren that you would do for them what you did for your own four children, that you would take us to Israel, And you would take them to Israel. I said, yeah, I remember. She said, well, you're getting old. And those legs of yours don't work as they once worked. So you're not going to be doing it for too much longer. When are you taking my kids to Israel? Oh, she's a strong lady. Runs in the family. And... We agreed that we would go uh, in 2021. (laughs) COVID had other ideas. And so 2023 dawns, and they still haven't got to Israel with grandpa, and uh, we fixed the date for August. So we arranged that August this year, we'd go to Israel. And so we did. And it was absolutely wonderful to take her to the places that had changed my life, the places where my Jesus had walked by the lake, to take them to see the places that some of you have seen with me, which can be life changing simply in what they evoke in terms of his power, his presence and his peace. And things were going really well, but of course the high point was going to be Eremos Heights. How many of you can remember Eremos Heights? How many of you have been there with me? Thank you. Up on Eremos Heights is a cave. The cave has just enough room for a man to lie flat and gaze out over the Sea of Galilee and pray, and it's where my Jesus used to go and pray all night, so often. You may say, how do you know that? Well, it looks out over Galilee. It's a beautiful spot, but Eremos in Greek means a solitary place, so when you read in your Bible, he went to a solitary place to pray, it's not an adjective. It's a noun. It means he went to the cave to pray. How do I know that? Well, two reasons. One is 380, 380, a little Catholic nun named Agaria was in the Holy Land and she wanted to see where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And so she. When, where everybody said it happened, <coughs> the problem is that the wind blows about midday, and if you preach where everyone thinks he preached the Sermon on the Mount, you can't hear a word. And I think one of the requirements of the Sermon on the Mount is it was audible. So, Aguirre is up there and no one can hear a word, and, She looks at the Church of the Beatitudes, which was constructed after 325 A.D. when Constantine, the Roman Emperor, his mother, Helena, went on a trip to Israel, and she, she was guided by Bishop Eusebius of Caesarea, and he said this is where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, so she built a church. (coughs) <coughs> wherever he said this is where he did something she built a church but she knew he couldn't have preached it there because nobody could hear him so she went hunting for the church and she found the remnants of the little church that had started in the life even immediately after the death of Jesus and they said he didn't Preach it where they put the church up. (coughs) He preached the sermon down there with his back to the mountain looking straight out over the Sea of Galilee. That's where he preached it. And when she went and tried, you could hear immediately. And again, some of you have been with me and tried it and you can preach into the blankness of that place, and everybody can hear you for hundreds of yards. It's an amazing spot. And so Agaria had been thrilled. And that's where she also found the grotto, the cave, where he used to go and pray. On top of that grotto is a hillock, And that's where Jesus stood and preached the Sermon on the Mount. I won't die for the truth of that, but humanly, it's the only place you could have done it. And those of you who've been with me, know that's absolutely true. So I took my grandkids there. And I got them up to the top of that hillock. And I got them where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I thought I would just walk up there like I had done every day and like I did with you. And I had forgotten. Anno Domini. I'd forgotten the legs didn't really work very well nowadays. I'd forgotten that that was going to be a struggle. And it was. And my son Gavin half dragged me up that mountain, knowing that his dad had got to get there. I'd been up there maybe th- 30 weeks of my life. 30th trip to Israel will be next year, pray God. But it was an amazing moment to stand there with my grandkids. And then, Amelie and Danny, the grandkids, started talking to me about Jesus. And I started talking to them about my Jesus. What he wants to do with your life. They are... 16 and 11, sorry, 16 and 13, thank you. And incredibly, as we stood on where the Sermon on the Mount was preached and I talked about Jesus, their ears started flapping and they were open to everything that was said and they started to want to know more and more. And I was desperate to take them to the cave to show them where my Jesus prayed. And I got to the cave with a lot of help from Gavin who was hanging on because it's very steep. And my feet are fused to my legs. So there are no sensors operating in the feet. I've got no means of determining what's happening. And having prayed with them in the cave, I knew I'd got to get down. Now, it takes about 20 minutes when you're young, fit, to get up that hill. It took me a long, long time to get up it this time. Getting down it, I thought, would be a lot easier. And I got out, and I started going down, and Gavin was hanging on to me. Ruth was looking in horror. (laughs) The grandkids were holding on to Grandpa, and we started going down Eremos Heights. And then I lost it. There was no way I could keep walking down that hill. And the incline was so steep, I started running. Couldn't stop myself. And so Gavin's running with me. And uh, we're running through the scree and the shale and I can't stop. And we keep running down and I can't stop. And Ruth by now is looking and thinking he's never gonna make it. And that's when Gavin lost me. He went left and landed in the bushes I went right and landed on the hillside. And when I sort of came to and started looking at myself, I realized there was blood all over my knees. And I realized I'd had a really bad fall. I also realized I couldn't get up again. The problem with that hillside is no one ever goes there. There was a road beneath me but that was 20 minutes down. We could have gone up, but that was about 40 minutes up. There was nothing I could do. Ruth, by this time, I've disappeared from sight, and so she thinks I'm dead. I wondered. And I started trying to get down that hill. In my mind, and I knew I couldn't. And that was when the guy arrived. He was shorter than me. No, he wasn't shorter than me. Says, same size. He was wider, certainly. (laughs) He'd got massive muscles, and he looked at me. And picked me up. Now that's quite a feat. There's more of me than appears. (laughs) And he got his arms underneath me and he cradled me in his arms. And held me close to his heart. And then he started walking me down the hill. As he carried me in his arms. The grandkids have got their mouths open. They do not understand what is going on. Ruth is watching this. Gavin is aghast. And I said to the guy, where did you come from? He said, well, I saw you as I was driving. And I thought, no, you didn't. This is 30 years I've been coming here. You did not see me. No one can see you from the road. They can see where the cave opens but they can't see this part of the hillside where you're coming down. And then he put me down, left me, and went to get some medication. And he was back again within five minutes. That's not possible. There is nothing for, what, 40 minutes, an hour? And then he started trying to, he picked me up again just like that, started trying to carry me down, and then he put me down again and went off to get some drink so that I'd have some refreshment. And then he came straight back again, two or three minutes. By this time, we are all aghast. How do you explain this? What does this mean? And we kept coming down, and he walked me down Eremos Heights in his arms. Never known anything like it, I can't believe it, as I look back. Ruth watched it all, and so did the grandchildren. And of course, no one's on the heights. It was sensational. When we got to the bottom, he just put me down and said, but he didn't really say anything, he was gone. And that's when the grandkids said, we just met an angel. Yeah, well, that's probably the only sane explanation. It was an incredible moment when I realised that this God I have served for over 50 years is no tame lion, has the power to keep me, can give me his peace and walk with me at all times can surround me with his presence, will never leave me, and I can know his power. I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit this morning. If you don't know him deeply, intimately, and personally. I'm not saying, have you met Jesus? I'm not saying, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I'm saying... Has Jesus come to live within you in the fullness of the power of his Holy Spirit? Does he give you what you need to serve him with? Does he give you what you need to bless him with? Does he give you what you need to touch your heart and life and help you to move with him? What I want to ask is, have you been filled with this Spirit, baptized in this Holy Spirit, if you like, You may say yes, okay, are you full of his spirit now? That great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones in the heart of London used to say, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Is he filling your life, changing your life? Is he speaking through you, bringing people to Christ through you? Are you full of the spirit? Well, where is he? And that's the problem. That the church today has suffered a body blow and it needs to recover the power of the Spirit of God. This church has held on and held on well and you've done well. But God has more for you, more to give, more of his power, more of his peace, more of his presence. And that means he wants to touch you individually with his heart and his hand, and his life. And he wants to take you in his arms and walk you down the mountain with him. He wants to never leave you or forsake you that you might know him forever. How does that link with John 14? He wants to give his peace to you. He wants to give his presence to you. He wants to give his power to you. And then he says, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you and be with you forever. Amen. What we're going to do is very simple and straightforward. Some of you will remember. In a few moments I'm going to ask um, the worship team to join us. I'm going to ask the prayer servants and those who've been prepared for this moment to come up to the front and look that way. Then I'm going to ask you a simple question. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying, have you had an encounter with the Spirit in the past? I'm saying, are you full of the Spirit now? And I'm going to ask that you might give us all a privilege of praying for each other, of laying hands on you and praying that you will be full to overflowing with God's spirit. Like it once was. Like it's never been. Like you need it to be. If Danbury and Bethel and Brookfield, et cetera, are gonna be transformed. Those of you watching this, in New Milford, in Waterbury, in Derby, and online. Each one of us needs to be full of the Spirit of God. And this is what Jesus did for his disciples immediately before he left them. And this is what he wants to do for you now. Why? Because it's not about surviving as a Christian till heaven. It's about changing your world here on earth and getting others ready for heaven too so what we're going to do I'm going to pray and when I've prayed I'm going to ask that you start coming forward that you can come while we're praying just come to the front and you're saying I want to be prayed for I want to be full of the spirit and then those of you who are ready to do that praying I want you up here and I want you to pray that that's exactly what will happen and that people will be full of the spirit right now And then we will leave this church knowing that we're filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you long for us to be filled to overflowing. Thank you that you long to do something for us this morning in a special way. Give us the courage to get on our feet. Give us the courage to start walking. Give us the courage to come now. Give us the courage to be open to you for all that you're going to do. Give us the courage that this church might be a beacon here in this locality for the power.